One year ago today, hundreds of people marched toward the Straits of Mackinac, where Lakes Michigan and Huron meet. Governor Gretchen Whitmer had ordered the shutdown of Line 5 beneath the Straits of Mackinac. Enbridge owns and operates the pipeline, which carries crude oil and natural gas liquids along the lake bed for four miles. It's just one small leg of Line 5's route from northern Wisconsin to the southern part of Ontario, Canada. Governor Whitmer gave Enbridge six months to stop the flow of oil through the straits. Those six months were up. Like Whitmer, these demonstrators say Line 5 is outdated, unsafe, and an unacceptable threat to the Great Lakes. I want to read the eviction notice that we just posted on Enbridge's door here. On the microphone is Sean McBreardy. He's legislative and policy director for Michigan Clean Water Action. Concerned citizens of Michigan direct Enbridge, a foreign oil company, to immediately abandon operating Line 5 pipelines in the Straits of Mackinac. The company's response? No. This is Points North, a show about the land, water, and inhabitants of the Upper Great Lakes. I'm Morgan Springer. There's no safe way to move crude oil across an entire continent. So what risks are we willing to take? And who bears the brunt of that risk? Over the next couple episodes, we'll be looking at two times when transporting oil went horribly wrong. Today, we'll hear about a pipeline that ruptured. Next time, we'll consider the alternative. Now, a year after that shutdown deadline, Line 5 is still in the water. And we've seen a tangled mess of legal battles between Enbridge and the state of Michigan. That's right. There's Michigan v. Enbridge, Enbridge v. Michigan, Nestle v. Enbridge. That's reporter Patrick Shea. Also, Canada's gotten involved in court, and so have tribal nations across Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ontario. And as all of this litigation unfolds, slowly, now is a good time to zoom out. Right. And Patrick, we heard in that opening scene that a lot of people are really opposed to this pipeline. And if you live in northern Michigan, you've probably seen the yard signs, uh, shut down line five, or no oil in our straits. When and why did this become such a big concern? That question's right at the heart of today's story. This pipeline has been supplying energy to the region since 1953. But environmentalists didn't start sounding the alarm about Line 5 in the Straits until a little over a decade ago. I asked Bob Lado why that is. He's the regional operations manager for Enbridge. I think that, unfortunately, it probably stems out of our darkest day in Marshall back in 2010. We just declared a state of emergency here in Calhoun County, and I spoke with... This area, there is no escaping the oil. You can smell it everywhere. You can even feel it in your throat. We just heard Take word that there is a no fishing, no swimming advisory for waterways in this affected area. We know that... I'm told that there's very toxic chemicals in this oil, obviously. Marshall, Michigan is a small community on the banks of the Kalamazoo River. It has that classic small-town charm, the kind of place where the names of high school football players are on display downtown, and where downtown is really just three blocks of one street. It's not the kind of place you'd expect to get national media attention. 
But then came July 26th, 2010. It was a nice day. Um, I go to work like at 7 o'clock in the morning. Cheryl Vosberg worked for the city of Marshall back then as the environmental programs coordinator. And she lived a few miles out of town. Probably right when I hit the city limits, I could clearly smell something in the air. You know, it, it was a very invasive odor. That's when Jay Wesley's phone rang. He works for the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. Jay says the call itself wasn't too out of the ordinary. It was about an oil spill in Calhoun County. An oil spill to us is usually a tanker truck flips over or there is an accident with a diesel truck and they're calling it oil, but it's really diesel. So didn't think much of it, just kind of hopped in a vehicle and headed out there. And uh, when I got to Marshall, I had to cross the Kalamazoo River. And as I was crossing the bridge, I noticed half the river was black. The night before, an Enbridge pipeline, line 6B, had ruptured near Talmadge Creek. That's a tiny little stream that drains into the Kalamazoo River. They had some of their own employees responding. You know, they had a limited amount of booms. A boom is a physical barrier that floats in the water and is used to contain oil. The flow was so heavy that it wasn't stopping much at all. Just couldn't see any water. It was just oil flowing down this creek. So at that point, really knew we had a problem on our hands. A few miles downstream, Cheryl Vosberg was now watching from the Ceresco Dam, and even that couldn't stop the oil. It looked kind of like uh, smooth, black uh, obsidian, like flowing over the dam. I thought it, it, was, it was a very traumatic, you know, overwhelming environmental tragedy. And I stood there and I, you know, I felt really sad because I thought, how in the world will it ever begin to even make a dent in this, start cleaning it up? Uh, it was so much oil that I really thought that it would probably eventually hit Lake Michigan. The spill was finally contained about 40 miles downstream of Talmadge Creek, 80 river miles from Lake Michigan. And in the days that followed, first responders, like Jay, rushed to the river. It was pretty much chaos for a few days, I would say. Almost immediately, people were calling in, um, seeing Canadian geese that were showing up oiled. You know, they couldn't fly, so we did what we could to, to capture them. But then what? At first, they caught oiled birds, turtles, muskrats, all sorts of wildlife, and sent them to local rehab centers. But those quickly ran out of room. Then, Enbridge helped set up a cleaning facility near the river. But still... It wasn't easy to catch and clean wildlife. The conditions were not safe for staff to be on the river for almost a week. This event happened at a terrible time when we had a huge rain event. The water was really high, fast flowing. And the floodwaters weren't the only thing that made this river unsafe. With this being tar sands, they add a chemical called benzene to it. Benzene is just one part of a chemical cocktail mixed with heavy tar sands oil to sort of liquefy it, make it move down the pipe. And benzene itself is uh, not good to breathe in, so you needed an actual respirator to, to even be out there, or else you get really lightheaded, and um, this, it's not good. But people living right along the river, they didn't have respirators when the spill happened. Calls started coming into Michigan's Poison Control Center as people reported headaches, nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath. A report from the state's health department said that 145 individuals received medical care in the weeks that followed, saying their symptoms started right after the spill. 
D. Holton was one of them. I had to go see my lung doctor and get a nebulizer and some inhalers. D. says he never needed a nebulizer for his lungs before, but used one for three months after the spill. And the odor was, oh, it was really hard to breathe. Overwhelming. He says his breathing's never been the same. He and his wife, Julie Holton, lived near the river's edge in Battle Creek. I just got my nose plugged up and I got really nauseated and had headaches for a while. There were evacuations of some neighborhoods along the river. Enbridge paid for hotels for those families. But the Holtons say they were told their house was far enough away from the spill. They could stay put. That didn't make a lot of sense to them. We could, we could stand in our backyard and we could look down at the river. It's 500 feet. They kept the windows closed to keep the fumes out. This was late July, and they didn't have air conditioning. I slept on the floor a couple days because I couldn't stand the smell, and it was so hot. And at that point, did you consider, like, staying away from the river for a while, or did you... We couldn't. We, we, couldn't. we couldn't afford to go anywhere. Eventually, benzene and other toxic chemicals evaporated off the river and dispersed. Do you feel that there are any lingering effects from the exposure? Well, I got a nodule in my right lung, and uh, we're watching it. Dr. Ricky Ott is a marine toxicologist. She's studied oil spills ever since the Exxon Valdez spill in 1989. When she noticed people getting sick and staying sick, she started looking into the human health impacts of these spills. And that work has brought her all over the country. In the summer of 2011, she spoke at public meetings in towns along the Kalamazoo River. She asked people if they believed their health was impacted by the spill. And their answer? Yes, it was overwhelmingly yes, every community. I've had this cold, I can't shake it. I'm fatigued, I can't seem to shake it. Low-grade headaches, low-grade cough. I mean, that's not supposed to be with you forever. In recent years, studies in Spain, Korea, and along the Gulf Coast have associated these symptoms with exposure to oil spills. Many people who lived along the Kalamazoo River claim they still suffer today from that exposure in 2010. Some have lost loved ones to sudden, aggressive cancers, and they blame it on the spill. Benzene is a known carcinogen, but those deaths, and the growth on D. Holton's lung, there's just no way to confirm that the spill was the cause. The data's not there. I absolutely think if there was evidence of harm with people showing the, what's now called the characteristic suite of symptoms from an oil spill exposure, that there was grounds for a long-term study. But a long-term study was never done. The Calhoun County health officer at the time told me he did ask the federal government to conduct one. Those toxicologists said the levels of benzene weren't high enough to warrant that kind of research. But Ricky says our understanding of the dangers of these chemicals keeps changing. We're not even a generation out, really, from when we used to pour oil down the storm drains. Remember that? Because everybody thought it was so benign. Just dump it down a storm drain. Do you think that there's an adequate understanding of the impacts of oil spills on human health today? Science-wise, yes. Public health-wise, no. Well, what needs to change now, policy-wise, that we've learned this new science? Well, I can tell you nothing's changed policy-wise. But the scientists all know that oil's more toxic than we thought. It took almost two years for crews to clean up oil on the surface of the river and the floodplain. 
it took two more years to recover the submerged tar sands on the river bottom. And during that time, details started to come to light. More than a million gallons spilled from Line 6B into the Kalamazoo River, possibly the largest inland oil spill in U.S. history, though a spill from a different Enbridge line in Minnesota is a close contender. And what many people found most concerning is how it happened in the first place. Later investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board revealed that Enbridge had known about structural issues with Line 6B for five years and neglected to make repairs. And when the pipe ruptured, it took Enbridge 17 hours to realize what was even happening. In fact, when a problem was first detected, operators at the control center in Edmonton, Alberta, increased the pumping pressure. That mistake accounted for more than 80% of the total oil spilled. For many in Michigan, what happened in Marshall has led to an increased fear of oil pipelines and resentment of the company responsible. Cambridge thinks they have every right to kill our planet, endanger the Great Lakes. They can say they have learned their lessons, but they have not earned my trust. This Canadian invasion of our soil must stop. So we're here to tell them enough is enough. That was Sean McBrarity, Beth Wallace, and Lawrence Welsh. After the spill, a number of organizations sprang up in the state. Their sole purpose was shutting down Line 5. They've raised money and mobilized citizens across Michigan. Everyone agrees that Enbridge made mistakes in Marshall. And Bob Lado, the regional operations manager, says his company accepts all the blame. You know, we, we wear that black eye, um, and we, we always will. Our culture is one where we... We sort of moved from uh, being very ashamed of what happened to a point now where uh, we, we sort of honor the past, but learn from it. Today, every new employee is given a ring made of steel from Line 6B. Bob says it's a way of remembering what happened and a reminder to never let it happen again. And the only good option is to get better. And that's exactly what we did. He says since the spill in Marshall, Enbridge has taken measures to safeguard Line 5. Your biggest risk to a pipeline is that somebody doesn't know it's there or otherwise unintentionally comes into contact with it. Well, out in the Straits of Mackinac, um, that, that risk is anchors on ships. Enbridge has installed high-tech cameras that can zoom in on passing ships from miles out and make sure their anchors are properly stowed. There's also a patrol boat on call for up-close inspection. And then there's the tunnel Enbridge wants to build. It would encase a new section of Line 5 underneath the lake bed. By taking the pipes off of the lake bed, putting them in the tunnel, we, we decrease the risk of, of an anchor strike to zero. There is no more risk anymore. When all was said and done, Enbridge paid well over a billion dollars cleaning up the Kalamazoo River. And almost everyone involved with that process says the company did a thorough job and cooperated with state and federal oversight. And on top of that, Enbridge paid for five new parks with pavilions and boat launches. Some people think Enbridge is great because they didn't have oil in their front yard. Jane Ann Montague isn't one of them. She used to live in a house on Talmadge Creek. She could see Ground Zero through her kitchen window. We built that house the first year we were married in 1973. So we raised our family there. Jane Ann has since sold that house. Enbridge offered to buy all the homes closest to the spill at market value. Did you think about staying in your house? Was that a consideration? For a time, we, you know, we talked about it. But I, by then I had, didn't have much faith that they would be able to clean it up properly. 
and I wasn't up for the stress of it. And it didn't feel like home anymore. It really did not feel like home anymore. Did this make you start thinking about pipelines more? Absolutely. And, you know, I drive a car. I'm not anti-everything. But the fact that there is a pipeline under the Straits of Mackinac that is older than I am, and I'm 67, it, it just, I'm against that pipeline in that place run by that pipeline company. If you've never been to the Straits of Mackinac, here's a little bit about this place. This narrow waterway is at the heart of what some would consider the world's largest lake, by a long shot. Lakes Michigan and Huron have different names, sure, but hydrologically, they're inseparable, and the source of drinking water for more than 13 million people. The volume of water that moves through the Straits each day is 10 times greater than what passes over Niagara Falls. And because of these strong currents, experts in hydrodynamics have called it the worst possible place for an oil spill in the Great Lakes. They've run simulations that show an oil spill could impact 400 miles of shoreline. That's more than the entire Gulf Coast of Texas. That is why so many people want to see Line 5 shut down. But the thing is, shutting down a pipeline doesn't eliminate risk. It just moves it somewhere else. Oh, mon dieu! Oh, mon dieu! Oh, my God! Devastation from that train explosion in Quebec is becoming apparent tonight. 72 tanker cars loaded with crude oil broke loose and hurtled down and Just the about tracks. everyone here wondering how many people they know have been lost. That's coming up in part two, next time on Points North. Reporter Patrick Shea wrote and produced today's episode. It was edited by me, Morgan Springer. Additional editing support from Peter Payette and Taylor Wisner. Music for today's episode by Marlon Ledine and Santa. Special thanks to Beth Wallace, Ryan Duffy, Christine Kozmowski, Steve Hamilton, Ken Kornheiser, and Dee Holton Jr. for help with this episode. You can find more environmental stories from the Upper Great Lakes at pointsnorthradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show and rate and review Points North as well. Have a great weekend.